Welcome, one and all, to your She-Hulk podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is my co-counsel, Pete. Hello, Pete. Just remember whose show this actually is. The She-Hulk podcast by Fantastic Geek for She-Hulk Attorney at Law, Episode 3, The People versus Emil Blonsky. It's brought to you by Toilet Kombucha. It'll really clean your cell out. Wow, Pete, two great outings there. What a what a way to start this podcast. Uh super excited to be here. Uh Pete in our dueling podcasting of half hour delightful shows. Of course, we'll be talking Star Trek Lower Decks episode uh 302 tomorrow. Uh and and looking forward to that certainly. Yes, our regular Star Trek Sunday slot for that. And speaking of Star Trek, Matt, Star Trek Day, Thursday, September 8th, noon presentation, promising stuff from Star Trek Picard, a uh, set tour of the right now in production season five. They said it had never happened, Matt, of Star Trek Discovery uh, by really... Can we just call him brand ambassador at this point, um, Wilson Cruz? Uh, there'll be stuff from uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. There'll be stuff from, obviously, Lower Decks and, and Prodigy. All the brands uh, represented there. We will bring you that uh, later Thursday, uh, September 8th. We will be podcasting that later in the day. Pete, Clearly, you have a West Coast mindset there as as you prepare to mentally chill over the live stream with all those folks uh, in in this Star Trek Day celebration uh, originating out of Los Angeles. So starting noon Pacific, which actually is kind of handy for us here on the East Coast, uh, we'll, of course, be flexible with that podcast coverage of it, given my recollection from last year was between... Um, pre-taped segments and live stuff it went on for four five six hours something like that um so i think a little flexibility there in terms of you know do we wait to the very end of the last thing do we do we podcast most of it in the early evening hours that kind of thing so we'll see as the schedule uh, unfolds indeed the schedule still uh unfolding on social media with announcements and so forth but Really, really excited. Pete, this is, of course, September 8th, the day in which Star Trek first premiered, this inviolable day in which to celebrate Star Trek. And I'm sure it's just a day where the focus is on Star Trek. <laughs> it's also Disney Plus Day. It is. And now you might say, oh, because it's the anniversary of Disney Plus. No, they moved it. We kind of had wondered why. Now, D23 does happen does start the day uh, after Disney Plus Day. So, I mean, maybe there was it's that back... two days. It's uh, Saturday, September... I'm sorry, it's Friday, September 9th, and Saturday, September 10th. So, Pete, let me put it this way. We're going to be positive here, okay? We're going to hope that this Disney Plus Day is better uh, than last year's, which Screen Rant called, quote, an unadulterated disaster... Uh, and also mentioned the poorly constructed Twitter thread um, and just how, generally speaking, uh, according to the Wikipedia here, viewers and commentators alike just felt that it was a poor outing for Disney Plus Day. I remember being struck at, because again, last year, Star Trek Day came before Disney Plus Day. I remember Star Trek Day, you know, it was, again, it was 
part live, part taped. And, you know, the audio, the live audio always wasn't amazing. Or it's like, oh, I hear the, the live orchestra playing. I hear a couple things out of tune. But there was an earnestness to it. There was a, there was just everybody's there to celebrate Star Trek versus Disney Plus Day. Legit, had, the Pixar segment was as though the Pixar people were being held hostage by Disney brass to like, oh, I just happened to have come across you here on the Emeryville campus. And what should we talk about? So let's hope Disney Plus Day is not, uh, quote, an unadulterated disaster this year. And let's hope Star Trek Day brings that heartfelt enthusiasm and more. Bringing it back to Marvel and specifically She-Hulk, Matt, a master stroke by the social media uh, channels deciding to uh, deploy the Emil Blonsky haikus. Yeah, and I have to wonder, were all of those written ahead of time, or was that one of these, um, you know, Baron Zemo dancing quick, somebody at the, uh, you know, at the marketing department, let's jump on this quickly, but let's jump on it in a way that feels authentic. Um, regardless, you know, d- do we reach out to the writer? Is this done just as an advertising? Whatever it is, it just was so adorable. And it also was so kind of like, you know, again, look, I understand it's a haiku, 575, right? It's not the most complex thing ever, but just felt ever so expanding the universe. There, ostensibly, are Blonsky's own real haikus on my Twitter feed. It was just a little delightful moment. <laughs> and ahead of this episode, I, I think maintaining that momentum. One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Jen Walters returns to the Department of Damage Control Supermax prison, hustling to question her client about why he failed to mention his escape and its subsequent recording. She also reminds him he told her he doesn't turn into the abomination anymore, but he says he chooses not to. Uh, He cites extenuating circumstances. Jen says the escape will destroy his chance at parole. But Blonsky claims he was forced to leave his cell, but returned of his own free will. Who forced him? Jen asks. A sorcerer supreme of the mystic arts, and his name is... Wong, just plain Wong, says Nikki, Uh, which all of this episode, all of this uh, story thus far really really handy like recap for those who might not know or recap for those who might have forgotten um or new news for those who might need it as new like it's, it's just super handy it does not come off as like does not come off as recap uh nikki has done some research uh it, however in order to ensnare him she has sent him a thirst trap uh which is her with a picture of a whole bunch of books you know he the former librarian and so forth um but will he show up in this episode and save the day? At this point, Jen addresses the camera. Now, Pete, normally I don't like it in a show when the driver is not paying attention to the road. Yeah. I think here we can we can understand the conceit, uh, given that she's you know breaking the fourth wall and all that. She reminds you that this is not a cameo of the week episode, uh, cameo of the week show, except for Bruce and Emil and Wong. But don't forget whose show this is. Uh, delightful quip there to take us into the she-hulk title card news los angeles now covers jen's representation of abomination for g l k and h 
Chiron down the bottom. Matt, of course, telling us a little bit more about uh, Titania, uh, superpowered influencer here. She's confident her legal team will, quote, make it go away. Uh, sure, we'll be returning to that plot thread. Uh, the Tattle Anchor uh, says that the uh, She-Hulk has suffered backlash about her qualifications. And then an Espanol, por favor, uh, an anchor talks about She-Hulk. Uh, and in the past hour, the hashtag, the big green woman, has trended worldwide. Uh, there's then a video of a man uh, saying that the She-Hulk took the Hulk's manhood away uh, and they gave it to a woman and then that the both fictional and meta commentary merges in the best possible way. I mean, from the names of the people, the screen handles leaving the comments to the comments themselves, right down to the punctuation. Uh, yeah, this production uh, team understands what they're up against. Yes. And this montage here had to wonder, Pete, is it the spiritual successor of a similar scene in the film Ghostbusters now retitled Ghostbusters answer the call uh, in which they kind of have a meta conversation with YouTube commenters and so forth. Quick tangent, Pete, one time at New York comic con, uh, as you were exiting or walking away from the gentleman's room, uh, Ghostbuster director Paul Feige was headed towards there and nodded hello at you. Uh, then he saw the line and declined. Um, but there you go. We, we came that close to, you know, that's not a perfect movie, but it's well directed, I would argue. Back to this. Um, I like that they know that this show is going to rile up some Cro-Magnon types. Um, it has from the moment it's been announced, even though this is a 40 plus year Marvel comic title. Yeah. So just to to anticipate that, I think, among other things, you know, I, th I think of the I think of how some actors in similar positions have maybe been left out on the cold, it, it, left out in the cold on this issue. I think how more recently how um Ewan McGregor specifically and kind of all of the Star Wars family came to the support of Moses Ingram. Mm -hmm. I suspect perhaps they were surprised by the reaction of a strong, competent uh, female character of color. Um, here, She-Hulk, maybe perhaps not dealing with the, the character of human color, um, but I think that they're anticipating it as a team. They're responding, they're pre-responding as a team and hopefully that is, if nothing else, giving some solace to the team. And they're not all of a sudden looking at their phones going, oh, my goodness, I can't believe some guy said this. Um, because clearly they, they kind of knew it was coming and they're having, uh, having a bit of fun with it here. Well, they really successfully ape the faux outrage that's gone on around this character. The, they, they check all the boxes, Matt. The uh, referencing what, uh, you know, has been thrown at the creators here about affirmative action and then, you know, that everything needs to be, uh, you know, made female. Uh, my favorite, even though it's the worst screen name at Darby Don't Care, 
Um, why are you turning every superhero into a girl? No question mark. No one asked for that. Well, I'll add to it. I'm trying to find it now and I can't. I follow on YouTube. I think his name is Comic Drake. He does uh, kind of, you know, comic book summaries, rundowns and so forth. Um, apparently he recently did one on Ironheart. I haven't caught it yet, but he did do a screen capture. You know how on, on YouTube you can do like a Instagram style post? He, he kind of yeah. did that. And it was, he got a response to his Ironheart video talking about how characters like this have ruined the MCU. And this is why the show has got, this is why the show has been a disaster. And his reply was, the show isn't out yet. No one has seen anything from the show. It's not a ratings disaster. It's not even out yet. So I think the character that debuts in one of the most anticipated films of the year in Black Panther, Wakanda forever, ruining a show. I like, come on, man. But again, there's just this notion that's already a ratings disaster. Yeah. But, but it's, it's not even out yet, you know. Yeah. It, it's it's nonsense. This sequence more than playfully uh, makes it apparent they're not going to take this lying down, and I love them for it. Um, you've got a TikTok guy saying, you know, there, there, there's even the faux apologists. Well, I have no problem with female heroes. I'm just saying, make their own. The good news, though, is, Pete, I think there is a, there's a slightly uh, affirmational message at the end of this montage. Yeah, one kid doesn't know about everybody else, but he'd smash. And there's some great comments there, both the connected and you know the absurd to the side there somebody saying that she hulk should use her uh platform to stand up for endangered lemurs <laughs> someone asking is is it weird if i like uh her better green um sherry says she might make tacos tonight and then of course you got to end it with a hater uh oh my god she hulk isn't even real She's just some media puppet. <laughs> uh, the story moves on to Jen, of course, in She-Hulk form because she's at the office. Um, and Nikki really pushes the idea of leaning into this coverage, kind of, you know, being in control of your own narrative by being a part of the narrative. Uh, their kind of tangent, tangential moment is interrupted as they're asked to go see Holloway. Uh, so they do a walk-in talk. Um, again, kind of affirming that the, the general media coverage uh, of She-Hulk isn't going away. Pete, it occurs to me that maybe, not only is this kind of just coming off of the montage and so forth, but maybe this is also laying some story track for elements towards the end of the episode and leading into, uh, leading into next week. So again, for it to just feel like a little, you know, it's a genuine character moment, but maybe leading towards, you know, the people attack her at the end of the episode and that's you know coverage might have driven that and so forth we're, we're doing we're doing double duty here with the story in holloway's office dennis is upset what kind of office doesn't have any red bulls pug is there uh dennis doesn't want jen in she hulk form here or in any form but holloway uh, affirming, as he does throughout this episode, that Ms. Walters is the head of the Superhuman Law Division. Uh, Dennis says he has too much history uh, with her to be comfortable on his case here. She'd love to know what it's about and not work on it. There's also Mallory Book, 
introduced by Holloway, also of the superhuman division. But Dennis can't talk to a 10 about embarrassing man stuff. And she could be his next fiance. She's happy to not be involved. Pete, Disney Plus fans might recognize uh, Mallory Book actress Renee Lee Goldsberry, the Tony and Grammy award winner from Hamilton, uh, making her ever so brief debut here. I think we're going to see more of her since it's, you know, Renee Lee Goldsberry, the Tony and Grammy award winner. But Pug is a lawyer. He looks cool. Dennis will take him. And Holloway goes on to explain that their friend, Mr. Bukowski, from the DA's office, needs help on a delicate matter. He's been defrauded by an ex-girlfriend and wants to sue to get that money back. He bought her jewelry, flew her to Bali for a photo shoot, paid off her Volkswagen Passat. And Pug asks why the superhuman law division would be involved and Holloway discloses that's because the ex-girlfriend is a shape-shifting light elf from New Asgard. And that he thought he was dating Megan the Stallion. Jen interrupts here. Wait a minute. Multiple Grammy award-winning megastar Megan the Stallion? Uh, Dennis, of course, counters with what part of shapeshifter did she not get? Uh, but... Jen again marvels at uh, Dennis's stupidity to think that Megan D. Stallion would drive a Passat. Just then, Wong portals into the office. He's received Jen's message. Perfect timing. Holloway says she may go. Uh, she wishes Pug good luck and just laughs at Dennis. Uh, the uh, Wong and Jen conversation continues in her office, and, and he agrees with, uh, speaking of the narrative, the Blonsky narrative, he indeed did uh, break Blonsky out. It's all true. Uh, it was done against Blonsky's will and so forth. Wong demands of Jen that Blonsky not get punished. He's all set to leave. Hold on. Jen is not there to punish him. You know, the, the, the rules of our society versus those of the mystic arts and so forth. Uh, some options are, are laid out here by Wong. Got your mirror dimension, got your shadow dimension. He's not going to entertain the idea of another memory erasure. Not again. Way too complicated. Way too messy. Um, Jen shoots all that down. He does the, does the old nose tap. We'll save magic for plan B. No, no, no. No plan B. Jen looking to live within the, the, the rules and regulations of our uh, hopefully ordered world. Uh, but Pete, take us back to Pug. In his office, Dennis has his Red Bull. Thank goodness. It's a baby bottle. Would have been too much. And is asked how much money in cash and gifts he has spent on this imposter. Um, can't really come up with a number. So I love that they have um, uh, Pug actor josh cigara here go through you know hey i'll say a number and you say higher or lower you said you bought her a mid-sized sedan so 50k north of that 100k north of that 200 no no i'm not a fool man it was more like 175,000. checked for contextual sense matt as being a whole house in parts of the country Will Pug help him or not? 
they'll start to build a case and be in touch. They go to shake, and one of them has a fist to bump, and then the confusion there. It is delightfully goofy. It is, and all of it, I mean, I can see kind of there's a writer's room argument to just be like, how much was it? 200000 Okay, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, this scene is way too short, and nobody's needed to do any kind of illustration of their character uh with dennis doing this gentlemanly thing of i won't tell you the number so you have to go up and down and all that uh it lets both characters shine here ditto for the fist bump shake and so forth uh dennis leaves moments later dennis returns uh acting differently he's saying i will say this pete dennis actor drew matthews right as dennis he's not this is not the hero of the story he's the hero of dennis's story but he's not our hero but here drew matthews gets to stretch his acting chops here because we immediately can see just by his different presentation this is a different person here um indeed as faux dennis talks about let's just drop the case i realized i gotta take responsibility it's just money now i've been given a story to tell the implication here that's worth it pug's phone rings and it's real dennis with a parking issue you know of course he parked in the handicapped parking um which means that this dennis in front of him is fake pug calls security uh pete i love that they go for seconds here in the outer office uh faux pug tells his co-workers that he loves harassing women uh revealed it's to be his the- kick baby <laughs> Revealed, of course, to be the light elf, uh, and then real pug comes out. You know, you know me, you know me. Uh, but uh, let this shape shifting be a warning to pug. Yes, this after the you screen video, Matt, of the Megan the Stallion imposter fight at Celebre, uh, showing our shapeshifter prior to seeing her it in action. There, uh, we shift back to outside the prison where uh, we have the setup for the abomination appearing before the parole board. Uh, A male reporter notices uh, Jen and asks uh, about She-Hulk, about getting a word here. Another man asks if it's true she was rejected by the Avengers. Uh, And then a woman doubles down on that uh, and repeats it for the viewers at home that she has been rejected by the Avengers. Pete, I think that there are elements in this episode, maybe uh, giving a slightly wagging finger to some elements in the media. Um, But the story moves inside to the actual parole board hearing. The seven soulmates enter Pete. I'm talking us agent. I'm talking Hawkeye. (laughs) Oh, actually it's seven women dressed in doesn't mean there couldn't be other ones. And we're going to talk all about that when we look at theories, because this property that's conspicuously mentioned a couple times, it does exist. Um, the parole board thinks this is going to be quick given how Blonsky has escaped. So of course we're not going to let him out. You know, he's, he's infractions while in prison and so forth. Jen interrupts and said, maybe that interrupts. Jen interjects that she wants to share witness who can give some context to that. Great. Let's hear from him. Um, she knows we know that Wong is not there. So let's start with Emil. Okay. He feels great shame over hurting others. He's focused on growing and improving uh, emotionally, karmically, and a whole bunch of other <laughs> adverbs. Um, he says he's a better man now 
And Jen sums up the email, just wants to contribute to society. Then, Pete, we start to talk about that issue of where he will live. Yes. Uh, he's asked where that is going to be if he's released. Um, uh, Blonsky says that uh, they can rely on that. He owns a plot of land on which he plans to work and reside. Woman on the parole board says, wait, he's going to be farming. Uh, but Jen explains that he uh, has plans to open a meditation retreat on this property. How is he funding this endeavor? Well, he's currently in a long-term committed relationship with several pen pals, all of whom have pledged to financially support him. Uh, Blonsky wants to clarify there that Blair, Ruth, Marta, Sheila, Alejandra, Yvonne, and Nicolette are his soul mates. He met them through the uh, prison pen pal program, his better eighths, as he calls them. Does anybody have any questions? And all the hands on the parole board go up. We get a montage of uh, those testifying for Blonsky. We hear about the his creation of the prison library program, how he has instituted meditation and reflection programs. He's helped Carl, the guard, work through the troubles uh, in Carl's marriage. We get, Pete, the line there, the reference about uh, how it's gone from toilet wine to toilet kombucha. This is this is perhaps the funniest story arc in the history of Marvel. And this is not the funniest thing ever. This is not I Love Lucy with the chocolate and so forth. But this is a really funny episode. Yes, the librarian, Amy Chance, uh, double duty there. Amy Chance is also the name of one of the producers on She-Hulk. Um, but with all of this, and I love how, you know, they, they kind of return to each, the counselor, the librarian, Carl, the guard, uh, and then, uh, as Carl's kind of losing it and releasing his, uh, his ex Linda there, uh, Blonsky says, okay, we're done with Carl. Yeah. Blonsky reading the room there to say, you know, uh, <laughs> Carl's done his duty. Let's move on here. Um, so, but what of this issue of the escape, the, the, uh, the parole board, you know, uh, brings that back to front and center. Jen delays again. The witness will explain all of this. And then there's the dramatic portal reveal. Um, uh, he, he apologizes so much for being late. I actually kind of appreciate that he doesn't say, because I was dealing with something. Like, we can kind of tell he showed up late for dramatic purposes and I've enjoyed yeah, the but delay. The way that he hops in and says he lost track of time with everything Wong's been up to, I think is a loaded entrance. Maybe yes. Maybe no. I like to think he was, I like, I like to think that since he's top of the pyramid in his world, um, that it's like, you know, if he shows up early, late to stuff, most of the time they're going to be like, Oh, Wong is here versus he's living by the rules of the DODC and their timeline and so forth. So I guess either way it works. Uh, he says that he is indeed the man responsible for emails leaving prison. Uh, and have you heard of a Kumite? Well, it's just Kumite, Matt. Do you know what it translates as? No idea. That would be blood sport. That of the 1980s cult classic Jean-Claude Van Damme film. 
uh, Bloodsport about a real life person named Frank Dukes, who did indeed an American who participated in the uh, tradition of Bloodsport. Pete, that makes me think of the Fight Club in which blood was uh, shed for sport, uh, as we saw in Shang-Chi and the uh, Legend of the Ten Rings. That's exactly what that is. We go to Pug's trial, where it's revealed, uh, or at least claimed, that the light elf, uh, not quite yet named Runa, but we can call her Runa, Pete, I feel like we know her, uh, that Runa the light elf has diplomatic immunity. Um, She starts to give the inspiring speech with inspiring music that New Asgard isn't a place, it's a people, Uh, but the judge tells her that Thor speeches won't work (laughs) here, and... The fact that she has diplomatic immunity is only in New Asgard, which actually I don't think is how diplomatic immunity works, but it works for this story, and this seems like a very capable judge, so I assume it's all it's all working for it. Um, and uh, the defense attorney, and indeed the story, kind of digs into all this comedy to find a dramatic thrust through it. The defense attorney saying that no reasonable person would assume that they were dating Megan the Stallion, um, the judge does agree that the burden is on Pug to prove that. However, it is a burden that can be explored at trial. We are going to go to trial. Bang, bang. Now, Matt, I'm, I'm not going to raise an objection in the legal sense. I'm, I'm merely going to cite evidence in that series head writer Jessica Gao has said she's not a legal expert. She's a writer. Um And it does show here in that the lawyer um, defending Runa asks for all charges against her client to be dismissed. This is a civil suit, Mm. not a criminal trial. Uh, I would agree with that. Do you want to throw in the asterisk of the MCU is not our world? I mean, that's how you could argue it away. I think it's just... As you're saying, Pete, this is not a hard-hitting legal exploration of their universe or our or our universe. Yeah, I think it's a little flub in the writing there. Does it change the thrust of the scene? Not really, uh, but I think it's a fair criticism nonetheless. Well, I, I think it's true to what Jessica Gao has said. Hey, I'm, I'm not a legal expert, and you know, a little of that shows here like you said it 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 does not ruin the scene merely worth pointing out there's no criminal aspect of it now when uh she gets up uh runa does and uh you know impersonates the judge then that separately rises to the level of criminality which later there are uh repercussions for and indeed Runa's attorney, being a good attorney, recognizes that her client is doing damage to the case and damage to themselves. One would imagine that perhaps in the future, Runa would have an increasingly difficult time finding any kind of quality legal representation as would happen with someone who is repeatedly breaking the law. But Pete, back to Wong. Uh, He says that Emil had no choice to leave. It was, however, Emil's choice to return to prison. Uh, Indeed, Emil was offered asylum at Camartage, but Emil has returned and returned to pay back his debt to society. The parole board says perhaps um, that was indeed Emil's plan, but is not the abomination and uncontrollable rage monster. 
Uh, Emil takes off his shoes carefully uh, and uh, takes a breath. Then he abominates up. There are screams. <laughs> Security enters. Jen is trying to hold on to the situation here. The soulmate, soulmates are strangely impressed. Um, yes, I, Pete, I think that's, I think that works for them. We'll just leave it at that. Um, after a moment, uh, Abomination puts his shoes on the floor. He says in full Tim Roth voice, as you can see, I'm in full control of the situation. He grabs a blanket and emails back down. Um, and Jen argues all this away as enthusiasm. Uh, and indeed, she's going to use it to prove her point. Now, Matt, I have a real problem personally when male characters or males in general tell a woman to calm down. I think that is intentionally done here by Emil uh, to Jen, though she is the one in control of his destiny. Uh, that blanket over his shoulders there shifting back. And she uses this as her moment to sum up here, begging forgiveness for um mr blonsky's enthusiasm but it proves he could have broken free but chose to remain he's had a stellar prison record reflecting uh his training and self-discipline that he can walk among the citizenry with no chance of being a rampaging abomination again he deserves a future as a free man and then the woman on the parole board thanks her uh, and they adjourn for the day to consider the facts. They say they will reconvene once a decision has been reached. Uh, and let's please get uh, Mr. Blonsky some clothes. Um, the man says that as for Wong, uh, or just Wong, that he has uh, admitted to a crime, uh, but Wong says he must depart and portals away. And then the great comic moment there as Tatiana Maslany grabs the mic that Benedict Wong has knocked over through the portaling and just kind of straightens it. Outside of the prison, Jen is leaving and answers no questions from the vulturous media. Uh, later, Jen and Nikki get drinks. There's reflection on how the protesters uh, wrote something in her car. What's well, kind of weird that the media referenced the protesters. We didn't see any protesters. Just pointing that out. Felt like a slightly loose thread. Um, Jen reiterates she, she just wants to be an anonymous lawyer um, and is not accepting that the genie is out of the bottle. Indeed, Pete, much like the two Aladdin films available on Disney+, Plus, I particularly enjoy the Guy Ritchie live-action version, although studio meddling ruined what could have been a better ending. We'll save that tangent for another day. Uh, but, Pete, wait, who's going to join them at the bar? That, of course, is a pug, and he asks how the two of them have been able to work with uh, Dennis Bukowski for so long. Love that Jen leans in and uh, breaks the fourth wall here to say that connecting the A and B story is nice. It is. Uh, Nikki admits to having murdered Dennis a number of times in her head in many different ways. Uh, and Jen adds that Dennis was still convinced that Nikki had a crush on him and that he's almost terminally deluded, sparking inspiration in Pug. And he asks if Jen would be willing to say this under oath. 
cut to her being sworn in under oath, placing her under oath. Uh, Pug questions her. She says that she worked with Dennis, spent a lot of time with him. His personal life was shared prolifically and unprompted. Jen characterizes him as a self-absorbed, chauvinistic, conceited uh, man who rated himself as a New York 10 and an LA 11. Uh, Again, these are all just fantastic lines. Um, Mm -hmm. However, Pug is asked to get to the point of things by the judge. Could Dennis actually believe he could get Megan the Stallion? Jen says, yes, yes, he is that pathologically deluded. Yes, uh, having referred to his office as the Dennis Sphere, um, all of this eliciting, uh, you know, laughter out of Runa, no less the rest of the court here. Um, so the judge awards full damages to Dennis and sentence additionally the defendant to 60 days for impersonating a judge. Uh, Megan the Stallion is in the gallery there, Matt. That's right. There's only one uh, as she's, uh, you know, using a fan there, uh, make some noise and then wags her tongue. Ah, after court, Dennis is overly happy, uh, but he wishes there was a way to stop Runa from using her powers forever. Jen notes inspiration and tells us at home not to tell anyone exactly where that uh, point of inspiration came from, i.e. Dennis. We go back to the parole hearing where the the board members assemble. Parole is granted with conditions. Emil is prohibited from turning into abomination, and he must wear an inhibitor, all of it in perpetuity. Emil thanks Jen, and she asks him to stay out of the news. He notes uh, that stories will be written one way or another, and again, you should own your own narrative. Yes, better to be part of it. Citizen News tonight has she-hulk speaking matt who is she and who is jennifer walters they explain the abomination is now a free man uh and joining them in the studio is the lawyer who is responsible she-hulk uh yeah her name is jennifer walters uh she uh corrects in she-hulk form uh and her client's name is not abomination but rather emil blonsky how did she come up with that name? Well, some random guy on the news thought about it for like two seconds. Uh, but whether she likes it or not, it's there forever. Um, and they're going to take a break now, but they'll be back so that She-Hulk can share diet and exercise secrets. Sorry, what? <laughs> Later, uh, Jen has driven home and is walking from her car. She's attacked. Uh, the, the music and indeed the moment show uh, show it to be fearful but wait a minute she remembers she can hulk out she indeed does hulk out starts flinging the attackers and so forth there are four total one of whom i think speaking for the group is concerned about how she struts around and shows off uh something that she's surprised to hear the attackers have glowing weapons wait did they did they rob an asgardian construction (laughs) worker they're told uh yeah and that's when you go oh that is a helmet and tools and so forth Pete, yeah. take us to the fight montage. The uh, weapons there, whether they are uh, a crowbar or purple gauntlets or a pink mace, bounce off or have little to no effect. There's an object that one attempts to stab Jen with uh, her skin, causing it to bend. 
she slaps them against the wall and tosses another up. Bad idea, bad idea. And they fall back to the car uh, in which they admit that did not go as they imagined. Hey, Thunderball, did you get it? And he holds up what looks like might be a syringe that he admits he could not pierce her nasty green skin. The boss is going to be mad. Jen collects her belongings and looks at her Hulk self in the reflection of the uh, the car there. Uh, a moment of reflection, uh, emotional and visual, as uh, we head into the credits. But wait, Pete, what interesting elements can be found in those credits? I think the most portentous, Matt, is uh, Emil in the release transport being whisked away his soulmates behind one of them noticeably crying. It did feel like some of the elements, that, that one in particular, but some of the elements here were not all recap. I mean, indeed that scene does not happen in the episode, but it felt like, is this a remnant of something that was shot, but edited or something that was scripted, but not shot. Um, Cause it's kind of weird it's weird to all of a sudden have the story advanced by the the drawings in the post credit sequence. If they'd done it from the beginning, that would have been, you know, interesting, but not necessarily controversial in a third episode. But yeah, I noticed that, and it was just kind of conspicuous by its being different. I mean, of course, Nikki taking a selfie with the books tracks in light of what she had said before. Um, but then, Matt, there's the mid credit scene indeed pete a scene in which we find ourselves in jen's office she's happy to see her brand new client who is it pete it's megan the stallion signing jen as her lawyer uh there's some boom 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 the ladies start to dance uh credit to holloway who notices some of the dancing i don't think they're quite at twerk stage at that point but he kind of sees it and goes huh and walks off pete He's probably a big, bad, evil lawyer, but it seems that he's pretty even-handed, fair, professional, and so forth. Uh, but then relations, we... man. What's that? It's client relations. Absolutely. Sometimes, sometimes, look, Pete, we say this all the time in the podcasting game. Sometimes you need to dance a little bit with Megan the Stallion to, 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 to make the client happy and so forth. Yes, um, and they start to, as the kids say, today, Matt, though it is not new, twerk uh megan the stallion telling jen that she is way more fun than her last lawyer jen uh volunteering that she will kill for megan the stallion and told to dial it back matt the outrage over this scene um the dennis's are upset over what they've now labeled the mcu Look, Pete, the first time I heard uh, of Megan Thee Stallion, it was uh, August 2020. She had a song out. Now, I have to admit, Pete, I'm not really great with remembering song lyrics. Uh, I think the song was about the the virtues of having, uh, having uh, a great public work system because I, I think the song was about water and power. I think that's what the, what the WAP stood for. Um, so, hey, I'm all, uh, I, I, want, I want all those public works to be working great and whatnot. Um, look, do we need both a bucket and a mop for all these, uh, male tears? We just might, but I would say, look, 
if you if you investigate the lyrics of that song uh, on which she was a, a a contributor along with cardi b um that's a song that's over the top and ridiculous but also at its core about female empowerment and about going to enjoy the things a lady might enjoy and so forth and uh pete i think for most people it's like you you go enjoy yourself you go activate your happiness you go you go have your fun be in charge of that uh, i'm not surprised to hear that there are people who see megan the stallion and uh, you know a computer generated tatiana maslani dancing and, and shaking their behinds a bit and there are some people who somehow feel that that uh excludes them and so forth uh <laughs> It's like the montage said towards the beginning of the episode, like it's kind of expecting it. And, um, and I'm not surprised by it. The sheer hyperbole, Matt floated that, uh, this has ruined the Marvel cinematic universe. This is the, the most unnecessary thing ever. It is, it is the worst, most profane joke in a, in a universe that's spoken about America's dairy air and Jackson Pollock blacklight, uh, you know, designs in your spaceship. And we could go on and cite chapter or verse of, of clearly things that push boundaries a whole lot more than something done on a TV 14 show on Disney plus. They're out there doing some dancing, enjoying themselves, celebrating themselves and so forth, and certainly nothing wrong with it. And the inclusion of Megan Thee Stallion in this episode, not just in what could have been limited to a YouTube moment or, mm -hmm. uh, or, or her inclusion in the courtroom scene in a separately shot scene. I don't think she's actually you know an extra in the background for the wide shots. But Pete, this post credit scene added because uh, when Tatiana Maslany uh, either found out that Megan Thee Stallion was going to be in it, or the fact that Tatiana Maslany is a huge Megan Thee Stallion fan was known to uh, showrunner Jessica Gao, and this scene was meant to remedy the fact that Tatiana Maslany and Megan Thee Stallion would not be sharing a scene, so they added it. I mean, that's just that just adds to the celebration of of mutual appreciation of of female empowerment and so forth. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. So, Pete, let's get right down to it. Some people are calling it hashtag Pete's defeat, okay? But here's what I'd like to know. Wither the seven soulmates not being the Thunderbolts? How will you use legalese to wriggle out of this one? Okay, soulmates versus pen pals. Who says they need to be the same people? Does he have other pen pals? And this conspicuous plot of land, Matt, on which he plans to both work and reside, need I remind you of Thunderbolts Mountain? Um, I do like that you are making that distinction, and it does occur to me that so too does Blonsky. I have to admit, I have to go back and compare it word for word to see if really there is an immutable line between soulmates and pen pals. 
Um, but he does at one point say, ah, pen pals, soulmates, and so forth, So, or vice versa. So I really like that as an explanation. And I also like the idea, quite frankly, that we're seeding the Thunderbolts um, so clearly here. Listen, at some point, whether it is Yelena or John Walker or even Zemo, somebody's going to be like, hey, did you get that letter I sent you? Um, I say bring it on. and you know, Or maybe I... we even see them, you know, writing one or, or, you know, dear Emil, you know, pull back and it's Val or, or something like that. I, I think there's a lot of ways that they can and will have fun with this. We are 23 and a half months out from Thunderbolts, that July 26th, 2024 release. So no time like the present to start to, uh, start to bring that along. Pete is Emil, uh, the wrecking crew's boss, or is it some, you know, unseen person who actually could contribute, uh, more badness to the, the remaining six episodes. I'm going to go out on a limb, Matt, and say that just about every listener of Fantastic Geeks podcasts of Disney Plus knows who the Wrecking Crew is citing as their boss. Um, for those who don't know, Pete, wh- wh- what's your theory? Who Who is behind, uh, at least from the comics, Wrecker, Bulldozer, Pile Driver, and Thunderball? Mephisto. Oh, I thought you were going to say, you know, well, in the comics, there's Jigsaw, or they cross paths with the Punisher, so maybe oh, that's dude, the return of the Punisher. It's Mephisto until it's not. Wow. I mean, that is literally true, that Mephisto could be behind anything until excluded. So I like I like that that theory remains evergreen. Uh, Pete, will what they call cameo of the week, even though I think that, I mean, one can make the argument that Wong is more than the cameo, um, Megan the Stallion, an extended cameo here. But will this, shall we say, guest star of the week, cameo of the week, will this continue uh, ad infinitum for the next six episodes? Well, now that you've addressed it via the fourth wall, I think it has to. I can't see how it doesn't. The question is only who's next. You know, we got both in the previously on and in Chiron in this episode about uh, Titania, and we've still not fully resolved that. We know that her case is pending, so you uh, put a pin in that. Well, I have to admit, I mean, they have been, they, the advertising, has been so upfront with Jamila Jamil as Titania, kind of, my expectation was the baddie for the series. I know sometimes that comes in and out and so forth, but... She's been in it so little, and we know that uh, Jamila Jamil has gone on social media and, y- you know, said, hey, there's this photo of me leaving set where, you know, you want to say I look all, you know, messed up or whatever. Yeah, 12 hours on a motion control rig with wires and so forth. It had been a long day. You know, the team is wonderful. The costume on screen is great, you know, blah, blah, blah. We still have yet to get more than the tiniest bit of Titania. So I know we have her in the hopper. Uh also, Pete, there's that there's old Hornhead who's going to be showing up as well. Um, when do you think we get more Titania? When do you think we get Pete hashtag Save Daredevil? They did it. He's back exactly as they planned, which is as a 
cameo of the week character in somebody else's show. Well, I, I think you've set a clear pathway for both at the end of this episode with the way that they leave you and Jen reflecting literally on what she has become. What other theories do you have? So Wong, uh, Nikki refers to his internet presence as chaotic. Uh, and apart from the, the LinkedIn details, and by the way, Matt, he actually has a profile on LinkedIn. If you haven't looked at it, uh, it, it is identical to what we have seen here. Uh, you know, that he was a librarian in, uh, uh, Comertage for 11 years, also, uh, previously a target sales associate at the Comartage uh, Nepal target for nine years <laughs> full time. But the use of the word chaotic, given uh, both his recent adventures as well as what's gone on in the MCU on the Disney Plus side, a very interesting choice. It is, and I think we're still at a we're still at a slight point where the specific chronology of some recent adventures, at least in my mind, is not completely clear, nor does it necessarily need to be clear. I, I don't know that there's a lot of carryover from the fact that a giant eyeball creature briefly attacked New York until Doctor Strange and Wong saved the day. Um the day of Christine Palmer's wedding, which would not, you know, that last bit, which would not be necessarily newsworthy. Um, yeah, I don't know that that necessarily is impacting Jennifer Walters as a DA or Jennifer Walters as a private attorney and all of that. But I hope at some point we get, we get more clarification. Now, do we need more clarification? Maybe not. Um, but you're absolutely right that, that some of that chaos can have been of, you know, due to recent MCU adventures. Well, I mean, again, referencing erasing everyone's memories. Yeah, so at the very least, we're after um, we're after Spider-Man: No Way Home. At least we have that as a as some kind of waypoint, which is in line with my basic expectation that unless they tell us otherwise, it kind of takes place around the time you see the movie. Yes, it's with a couple of years difference and so forth, but like here we are, ten months after Spider-Man: No Way Home. So I feel like what we're watching is about 10 months after that. And speaking of time, Wong says that he had lost track of it prior to uh, getting to the parole board hearing. It would be fun if that ties into something larger. I really feel like thus far it doesn't. Now, again, this could be one of these intentional, you know, like we'll write it a certain way. So we leave the door open. Some kinda... kind of, quantum mania perhaps um possibly i guess as i as i sit here right now my expectation is not uh for wong to appear in um ant-man and the wasp quantum mania could it happen it certainly certainly could i think too like they've settled into using benedict wong as this guy who clearly he's okay like yes i will come to atlanta for a week and film five scenes and then go home to the UK. Like he's, he's game for that. He doesn't need to be the, the center or the, the second lead as he was with, uh, with the Dr. Strange sequel. Um, it, 
it certainly is possible that he he can show up uh whether it's ant-man the wasp he could show up possibly in black panther that might be a bit of a push um but yeah bring it on bring on wong we have light elves in new asgard matt uh we do i peter we have we have asgardians we have light elves uh one would assume dark elves all sorts of asgardian creatures um all having gone from this once proud place to now working and living in a what has become a, a glorified theme park so hooray that we have media types uh bringing up jen being rejected as an avenger we've had her previous evaluation of being an avenger as a as a job what are the what is is it even a paid uh vocation is there are there benefits are we on a collision course with her not being rejected but more so being recruited i think the sky's the limit when you think we have six episodes to go when you reflect on that fact um i also think too i take some some guidance from the notion that you know uh portions of the doctor strange sequel some of those big cameos and so forth some of those were shot very late in the process some of those were shot during pickups and so forth so in my mind you know there's every possibility that even though you can say well i don't see how somebody from black panther would recruit her or ant-man and the wasp would recruit her or guardians of the galaxy would recruit her there's every possibility that as i mean let's go for the sky's the limit here pete if they cast a fantastic four cast member between now and look at the, look at the schedule here she hulk um 109 comes out on october 13th it's not impossible to think that there could already be the jen walters half of a scene in which reed richards steps out of the shadows and says would you like to join the avengers um presumably you could film that you know how, how close to the third to october 13th could you film that i'd like to pause it you could do that five days ahead of time get the right shot and so forth edit it in and there he is in the costume bing bang boom ready to go so there's every possibility and there's every possibility that doesn't leak out because it could happen you know there are these stories of edits being made to the most recent season of stranger things like that it being done 48 hours before the second portion of the season dropped um the same could happen here will we get a she hulk blonsky reunion uh in terms of some kind of uh battle do you mean in this season of this show yeah um i'd say 40 percent chance yes I, I would suspect based on current uh the current direction of things i think that we're leaving the kind of bruce and blonsky stuff behind us as we head into a middle you know maybe there's a first you know maybe there's a, a beginning middle and end each each of which has a three episode arc that kind of is slightly different could we circle back we absolutely could i mean this notion of like you are free but you must never be abomination again i mean clearly the latest we're going to see that would be thunderbolts it could happen sooner um i just feel like other than kind of knowing okay titania is out there and mallory book is out there as another lawyer I don't have a strong, you know, that the wrecking crew is out there. Is that enough to satisfy us for six episodes? Maybe, 
Um, I don't know that they need to necessarily circle back to him. But again, I'd say slightly less than 50%. I'll go 40% chance. So Bruce Banner had made an inhibitor uh, during the crash that we see in the pilot of She-Hulk. Gets damaged. Some of his blood gets into uh, Jen Walters' cut. She becomes She-Hulk. Later, she asks for an inhibitor for herself. Can't be made. It was just for me. It was calibrated to me. Uh, and now we're going to have an inhibitor in perpetuity on Blonsky so he can't turn into abomination? Uh, I would agree with your analysis that that's not all working together. Now, it was Bruce who denied her the opportunity to not explore. That's a lot of knots here. What am I trying to say, Pete? Bruce was the one who was saying, do not inhibit yourself. Explore your new potential. Explore this new part of yourself. So could you explain away this story issue with Bruce simply telling a lie in order to say, be the best She-Hulk you can be? I think that's one way to address it. Another is... I feel like there's a scene missing or there's something missing in the body of this episode where Dennis says, I wish we could inhibit the light elf again. And Jen says, Ooh, that gives me an idea cut to the board saying we have an idea. The idea is you are on parole, but no abomination and you must wear an inhibitor. So did look, if Jen proposed that to the, uh, parole board I would have liked a scene or as we always say Pete maybe one more line where parole board guy says you know uh, we are accepting Ms. Walter's proposal and giving full uh, parole with the exchange of uh, you know not turning to abomination and wearing the inhibitor um, short of that I feel like the inhibitor solution here is a little bit of a story hand wave uh, maybe the very esteemed Jessica Gao, in addition to not being a legal writer, maybe she's not a science inhibitor writer as well. What was Thunderball trying to get by piercing She-Hulk's skin? Was this blood? We know the the gamma blood uh, that was destroyed by uh, Bruce again in the pilot can't get out there, even if there's a millionth of a chance it could cause something again. I think that that very reference there, the fact that we explored the topic of the danger of her blood. Um, I think that's the, that's the loose end that is giving in, uh, giving commentary to this moment here and to perhaps where we're headed in the future. I do think that it was a syringe and I think it was a syringe meant to withdraw blood as opposed to, you know, inject something into her. Um, and again, too, I think that could give us some sense of direction here for, you, you know, somebody, somebody wants to get more information on her, that, that kind of thing. Objection, your honor, he's badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Pete will hear from some of our listeners. First stop, of course, as always, is the Twitter poll. Uh, four choices. The bottom one uh, was What a Dennis, thumbs down. That got 4.3%. <laughs> Next, Meg the Pony got 8.3%. 
Uh, three out of four, Megan the Stallion got 37%. And then Pete, the top one, referencing the fact that in the real world, in 2021, Megan the Stallion earned a college degree from Texas Southern University. The top choice here, getting 50% of votes, Meg the Health Administration graduate. So there you go. She, her saying, aha, to uh, the notion that you can't, you can't get a career and an education. She's doing both. Some replies here on Twitter. James the Sagacious Big Killin on Twitter says, simply the most fun in the MCU. I feel like this is what happens when men get out of the way. There you go. Well done. Uh, next, Steve Thurbridge. Uh, Steve Thurbridge on Twitter says, connecting A and B, nice. Also, letting go of the steering wheel to talk to the camera. Laugh out loud, funny. Does the existence of just Wong preclude the existence of unjust Wong? Hashtag multiverse. <laughs> hashtag it's all connected. Wow. Steve going deep here. Next, Pete from Bike BRH. It's at Bike BRH on Twitter. I thought it was really good, but not as good as the first two. Honestly, I thought the B plot wasn't great, and I couldn't possibly give a redacted that's their words, not mine about Megan the Stallion. I laughed at the social media buttheartedness from incels. You know that some of that was probably directly quoted from real life social media. Yeah. The attack on her was pretty good with her cowering in fear until she remembered that she was, in fact, She Hulk and hulking out and giving them a proper beating. It'll be interesting to see where they go with the blood thing. Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139 on Twitter says, once again, this is good green fun. I'm a fan of Jen breaking the fourth wall, connecting the A and B story. Nice. And when she stopped driving to talk to the viewer, the episode was great with a nice nod to Thor slash Avengers comic foes, the wrecking crew. She Hulk stands tall. Uh, Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983 says another great episode. It's meta on top of meta poking fun at the dude bros was so on point and the cameos were perfect i'm so happy i was wrong about the soulmates reality was so much better keep bringing it marvel uh next lmd mary that's at geek kirk says the show is one meta joke lawyer show and no cameos this is a million percent my cup of tea and i'm enjoying every second second week in a row when i woke up at 3 a.m for reasons i watched she hulk before going back to sleep also a huge MTS fan, I was giddy. Next up, Pete, we hear from David Siller. That's at Siller, David Poet. Uh, smashing a 1000. Every episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law is a blast from opening bit to credit scene. I'm always glued to the screen. The creativity of the fourth wall breaks have been stellar and surprising at every turn. More stuff of which Byrne would be proud. Uh, that's John Byrne. Uh, the act, uh, the action at the end was great fun and massively funny. Tatiana Maslany continues to smash it. If I had to pick out one favorite moment of the ep, it was making fun of dude bros complaining about female heroes. I'll never want to label them fans because it's clear they've never read a comic. I want to agree with Bob Keeley that the short episodes are getting to me, but I can't help but think it's a brilliant strategy because it just makes me want more and more and more. Tabloid slash news send-ups were great and Pug and Nikki delight. Loved the shape-shifting elf, as I think it really prepares us for secret invasion, antics, and drama. Looking mm -hmm. forward to all the future cameos and fourth wall breaks, but really, let's bring back Titania ASAP until we get that She-Hulk smash next week. Stay fantastic. Uh, Pete, I will add to that, um, and I think I might have said this before, maybe for this show or other shows, but it'll be interesting to see if there's kind of like, at the end of the season, if there's a play-all function where you can just go boom from the end of the one straight into the next um i would appreciate that continuing on twitter j philly b it's at j philly b for fandom says it gets better and better every week this week 
felt like we're getting to the heart of the plot. Who sent the Asgard version of Men at Work to steal Jen's blood? Does Blonsky really have control over Abomination, or is there another Asgardian shapeshifter in the mix? All good questions. Uh, Darren Bell, that's at Darth Raslin 79 uh, Really enjoying this series and all the cameos. The fourth wall breaks are great. And who is the Wrecking Crew's bo- boss? Isn't it obvious? Pete, great minds think alike here. Darren says, it's Mephisto. There you go. <laughs> uh, um, Bob Keeley at R. Keeley on Twitter says, excellent episode, but the short length is starting to get to me. Also, I feel uh, like I just get ready for something else to happen and we're done. Also, I'm a bit confused by the ending. What was she looking at? Jen was looking at uh, herself, her reflection, both in the surface of the car and the window as She-Hulk. What have I become? And so forth. We hear from Ian Silverman, Sylvie underscore 76. Continue loving the show's sense of humor. The very meta fourth wall breaking about weekly cameos in the car. Runa trying the Asgard isn't a place. It's a people line, but the judge shooting her down. The awkward fist bump or handshake moment between Pug and Dennis. Come on, we've all been there, especially in the last two years. Uh, And Emil referring to his soulmates as his better eighths. That was a particularly great line. I can't wait to see more of my dearest Angelica Schuyler. Uh, Note the comma after dearest. I I understand what he's doing there. Uh, As Mallory and curious uh, who who the boss is. Thanks for you. uh, All you guys do stay fantastic. Uh, next up, Noel Gardner at Noel Camille. The show is hilarious. The meta has been turned all the way up, and I love it. I need more info on Wong's target days. The <laughs> Megan cameo is top notch. Who is the Wrecking Crew's boss? Again, we have to keep our eyes on the screens. Uh, Ellen D. Mary says, "I adore the Megan cameo. Just fantastic." I have to say, Matt. You know, for all the outrage and everything, I think the sense of perspective. You know. We'd all wish Stan Lee would be back for a lot of reasons, but you know, if he was still with us here, he would a hundred percent want to have been part of this mid credit scene and he would have approved of it. Absolutely. Uh, we hear from Twitter at law, KCLYLE one on Twitter. I do not understand how people don't enjoy this show. It's great. I love the fourth wall breaking and there's nothing else like it in TV right now. I love that they've, uh, leaned into the don't make my heroes female crap that's all over social media and i don't mind that the after credits don't advance the story at least not yet still waiting for daredevil seems like the wrecking crew was hired uh to get some of jen's blood so bruce's warning from episode one uh comes back might we see a series of attempts to get her gamma juice blood a few more villains i do like that idea we could hold off on the big bad and so forth uh, Pete penultimately Rose Ferry at Anna Rose 584 says, do I sense a Val or Sharon coming? Seems to me the boss will be female more to irritate quote those guys, close quote. <laughs> uh, let's leave that one filed away there. Pete, I think Rose has a, that's a great prediction there. Last Pete snow goggles. That's at snow goggles on Twitter. Connecting the A and B stories. Nice. This show is too good. Nice. What do you have over there, Pete? On Facebook, Matt, where Steve Adams writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, there. this was yet another amazing episode of She-Hulk. Wong was great, as always. Jen's commentary on cameos was funny, and it makes me think we will get Daredevil next week. The plot with the Asgardian elf was amusing, but felt unnecessary. We all know Dennis is a jerk already. My complaint is with the fact 
that when Bruce becomes Hulk and Emil becomes Abomination, their voices don't change at all. Are we supposed to believe that they undergo a complete and total psychological or physiological change to every part of their bodies except for the vocal cords? Surely someone can go in and alter the pitch of their voices just enough to be different, but still sound enough like themselves to be recognizable. I know we have seen this with Hulk for a few years and it always annoyed me, but getting it here with Abomination as well just makes it even more glaring. Anyway, this was a decent overall, I'm sorry, decent episode overall and looking forward to next week. Until then, stay fantastic. And he spelled it with P and the H. I think the voice issue is an outgrowth of story needs. Um, that's been a way for us to differentiate Smart Hulk from Hulk Hulk. Uh, and similarly here, you know, in these all too short episodes, uh, we need some way to easily hammer home that Blonsky is in charge of the abomination body or however you want to differentiate that. And to just have kindly Tim Roth's voice saying, you see, it's just me, I'm in control. <laughs> That's just a way to do it. I would agree that, you know, physiologically doesn't make a ton of sense. No, but you know, gamma radiation turning you into a big giant green guy and then super soldier serum having the same effect one time. Uh, and, and Ed Norton doesn't look like Mark Ruffalo. Like, you know, there, there, there are, there are other things going on as well that that all fall under story can fix it. I did have a little bit of a Korg moment looking at Abomination and hearing, as you put it, kindly Tim Roth's voice coming out there. Um, I definitely see Steve's point, but I think, and again, uh, we talked about a line of dialogue so often fixing these things. It might be too like well, I've got enough control that I can maintain my voice now, whereas I couldn't before. Um, I rewatched The Incredible Hulk this week, and uh, we're in better uh, space as far as what they do with Hulk uh, and Abomination, not only in terms of the CGI and the design, but in the characterization. I'll just add too. I'm reminded of Naveen Andrews. Anytime he's on screen, he's kind of down there like this in any role. And then you hear him talk behind the scenes and he's like, yeah, being in Hawaii, it's lovely, lovely people in Hawaii. Like you can't believe that that's Saeed talking. So if that's, if that's one truth, then I guess this other untruth can be true as well. But Pete always bringing the truth all the way from the Netherlands is Fred, whose wise voice we hear now. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, Season 1, Episode 3. Okay, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I didn't like this episode that much. I found it, it was a little bit all over the place. Problem, of course, is when the episodes are only 25 to 30 minutes and you have a kind of B story and it needs some room, it gets half of the story. So in that case, the whole Dennis and the Megan T. Stallion story was a little bit too big for me. This Dennis is, of course, over the top, but it really is over, over the top. And that is, of course, a... Good basis for some humor, but 
because it's too much. Also, the humoristic effect goes a little bit down the drain by that. I hope they will dim it a little bit. And then I noticed I'm not fully equipped for American culture because this Megan T. Stallion didn't ring a bell at all with me. And for a matter of fact, even in the Marvel Universe, because you were talking about Shang-Chi in the different podcasts and I couldn't relate to that anything, so I looked it up. So I discovered I missed a whole Marvel movie about Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings. Talking about rings, I really, really like the new series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. So, so magnificent. And now I understand the Emil Blonsky reference and Wong, because I did see Doctor Strange, well, the first film, from 2016. I have not seen the newest one yet. So probably I will go back to the 2008 Hulk film and to the Sun Sheets film of 2021. And the newest Doctor Strange movie. So thank you guys and She-Hulk for putting three movies on my to-watch list. Funny fact is when I looked up this Megan T. Stallion, if that was really a thing, I landed up in one of her major hits probably called Her as a major rap song. But she is singing there about she, she, she. I really wonder if she is referring to She-Hulk there. Bitch, I'm her, 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 her. She, 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 she. Coincidence? I don't know. So what is humor at the right level for me? Uh, for instance, Jen putting the microphone straight up again after Wong left. That's funny. And that's subtle. But I think if you want subtlety, this is not the right series for you. But as Jen said, connecting the A and B story did work. Dennis gave her the idea to get Emil free if he promises not to use his powers anymore. I love the conceptual art again. And the mid end credit scene was of course funny. Yes, it was. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the gift that keeps on giving. I I love the idea that there's an eager-eyed Fred who now uh, can experience the joy of seeing, uh, for better or worse, The Incredible Hulk, the 2008 Ed Norton one, uh, the excellent Shang-Chi, uh, as well as Doctor Strange 2. That, that, that's, that's a great rainy day weekend. I don't know what the weather is. It is this weekend in the Netherlands that that that's a nice pairing there of uh, far flung adventures. I know that Fred's been chugging along at a certain point in the chronology. I know he was doing a lot of the Marvel Netflix or the former Marvel Netflix shows, Daredevil, uh, et cetera, at one point. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, get to that. And I think, you know, with the amount of content in the MCU has grown so fast, I, I think at some point it's become intimidating to a lot of people. What do I do? When do I do it? What do I go down in what order, et cetera, et cetera. You, you can watch whatever and, you know, go back and do it. I, I think 
you know, when Fred does watch Shang-Chi and seeing the post credit scene here and seeing what in that film directly connects to She-Hulk, I think obviously it's, it's going to enhance the experience. Pete, this and every podcast we do made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, our eternal thanks to them. Uh, more recently, some goodies uh, sent the way of some patrons. And uh, we also have a Patreon only episode coming next weekend uh, on, on uh, content asked for by patrons. I'll let it be a mystery from there, but lots of good stuff over there on Patreon. Yes, everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, might even determine that content. Uh, takes just a dollar a month, Matt. You push that button, you get a button. And uh, can't contribute this month? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. You can help us just as much. Leave us a rating in seconds or a review to any of our 32 podcast feeds. We still need you on the, the She-Hulk uh, podcast. Give us a rating there quick. Up that number for us. Uh, help people find us through the algorithm. Similarly with our Andor Star Wars podcast and all the others. Pete, let's keep the She-Hulk conversation going. Still six episodes ahead. Find their 25 minutes or so. Guess what? Six weeks of She-Hulk fun ahead of us. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,676 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. If you listen on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we are back tomorrow talking Lower Decks episode 302. If you're here just for She-Hulk, we'll be back next she-Hulk Saturday to talk about the fourth episode of this series. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Dial it back. <laughs>